Romans chapter 4. We're going to start today over in verse 16. And so if you've got yours kind of open there, we're going to be camped out there. And I was thinking this week, uh, we, uh, on Facebook, um, my graduating class from high school is trying to organize a 30th reunion. On Facebook, uh, not through official means, whatever, apparently there's a Zoom call this week that I will not be a part of, but they're trying to make it organized, right? And it got me thinking about high school, and I was thinking about one of the most anticipated days in my high school career was a day in biology... You either looked forward to it with excitement or you looked forward to it with dread. I don't even know if they still allow this to be done in biology classes in high school, but it was dissection day. How many of you remember dissection day, right? All right. So some of you that had dissection day, what did you dissect? What was it that you? Sharks. That's a California kid over there. Anybody from Tennessee dissect a shark? Oh, okay. So we got sharks. We got sharks. All right, sharks. What else did I hear? Huh? You just got the heart of the deer, not the whole deer. Well, that'd be kind of weird. That'd be hard in a biology on your table for deer. All right, so deer heart. I hear frog. How many? How many were frogs? All right. We. Uh, I read somewhere that rich kids in private school got to do pig fetuses. Uh, well, Dyersburg High School is not a private school, and we, I wasn't a rich kid, but that's what we got, a pig fetus. And what I remember about that is when you just looked at it, on the outside, it was gross, right? And when you cut it up on the inside, it was gross, right? But I do remember this. When you would cut it open and it would kind of be flayed out, Sorry, I know it's close to lunch, but this is when it would be flayed out. And you would look at the the intricacies of all that was inside. It was crazy to see what you had been talking about in real life. And dissecting it gave you an understanding of what all the systems and how that pig would have functioned. You're like, all right, so what does that have to do with anything? Romans chapter 4 is a little bit like a dissection of faith. Paul is going to take and he's going to use Abraham as the example and he's going to rip apart bit by bit what happened in Abraham's life to show us all what faith is. Noah talked about last week that faith is that we oftentimes feel like we're trying to earn or find, even after we're saved, we're trying to, to find our favor with God. We're trying to work towards something that God's disappointed with us, that we're not going to hold up our end of the bargain. And he talked about that Abraham, this, this picture that Paul gives of Abraham and of the covenant that happened between God and Abraham, where God basically said, it's not your responsibility, Abraham, it's mine. I will take care of it. And when we get to verse 16... Paul begins to pull back even more of the layers to let us see what true faith is. Verse 16 says, This is why the promise is by faith, so that it may be according to grace to guarantee it to all descendants, not only to one who is the law, but also the one who is Abraham's faith. 
He is the Father of it of us all. As it is written, I have made you the Father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, the one who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. He believed, hoping against hope, so that he became the father of many nations according to what had been spoken, so your descendants will be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body to be already dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and also the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, because he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able to do. Therefore, he was credited to Abraham, to him, for righteousness. Now, it was credited to him, was not written for Abraham alone, but also for us. It will be credited to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. A few things I want us to see in this passage about what faith is, that when we pull back all of the layers, what do we find is the systems that makes faith run? The first thing that we see in this passage is that faith is, at its essence, a response to God's revelation. That faith is a response. It is a yes. It is an acknowledgement. It is an understanding of God's revelation in our lives. So what do you what do you mean by that, Pastor? What I mean by that is that Abraham wasn't responding to just the idea of God. He wasn't responding to some kind of understanding of do you believe in God? Yes. I mean, if you ask Americans today, a high percentage, still somewhere in the 85 to 90 percent range, people say, do you believe in God? Yes. That doesn't mean they've believed on God. They haven't trusted in God. They have faith as is described in the Bible. Because a biblical faith, first of all, responds to God's revelation. In Genesis chapter 12, we have this story of this man, Abram, being called by God. And what's interesting about that is that it comes at the end of chapter of a chapter where they are literally scattering people to the nations because they are in rebellion to God and his plan. Genesis 11 is the Tower of Babel and God confuses their languages and sends them to the ends of the earth. And then in chapter 12, it starts out with a call of God on the life of Abram. Here's what it says in Genesis chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now we're going to leave it there just for a minute. Because what's basically being said there is that I want you to leave everything you know. Absolutely everything you know, and I want you to leave it. Your land, your relatives, your father's household, everything, and go. I want you to give up your inheritance. I want you to give up your rights. I want you to give up your future. I want you to give up everything you've got and go to this land that I'll show you. It goes on to say this in the next two verses. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So this is the revelation of God that Abram responded to. He heard God's word and he acted in accordance with what God had said. Now here's what's fascinating about that is we know that Abram was 100 years old when his first son was born, right? I'm not 
telling you something you don't know, right? Church people, you got that? You got that? Okay. How old was he when he gave birth? When he had, when his wife gave, he didn't give birth. When his wife gave birth, how old was he? A hundred years old. Okay. So, Bible trivia. How old was he when God called him? Seventy-five. Seventy-five years old. Now, a couple of things are interesting about that. First of all, that means he waited twenty-five years. Not days, not weeks, not minutes. We drove back from the beach on Friday. And as I was driving back from the beach, didn't have any traffic, didn't have any worries till I got to the outskirts of Nashville. Apparently they decided that uh, during the week, for several hours during the week around Columbia, it'd be a good time to shut down all but one lane to do some blasting on the side of the road. And so we got stuck in traffic for what seemed like four and a half hours. It was 20 minutes. Anybody here have a problem waiting in traffic like that? Just not going anywhere. It's just like creeping. Let me ask you this. How many of you are the, I'll just stay in this lane because eventually it'll move at the same rate? And how many of you are the, I'm jumping from lane to lane to figure out? Right? 25 years. Second interesting thing to me about that. God's word comes to him and tells him, that he's going to father a great nation. There was only one problem. He was 75 years old and had no child. He didn't come to a 20-year-old and say, hey man, got a great future for you. You're going to be the father of a great nation. He came to a 75-year-old and said, you're going to be the father of a great nation. With people. You won't be able to count your sons. Now, I don't want to speak out of turn for anybody that's 75 in the room. But my guess is if I, as your pastor, walked into a pastoral visit at your house when you were 75 years old and childless and said to you, by the way, God's going to use you and you're going to have so many kids you won't imagine. Now, in our culture, yeah, I'll, I'll adopt or foster. No, no. Yours. The scripture says Abraham believed him. And that all of his actions from that point forward were in an attempt to have God bless him to the point or to see God's promise fulfilled. Look at what it says back over in Romans chapter 14, 16. This is why the promise was by faith. The promise of God. It'd be according to grace. It had to be something that only God could do. Only God could make a fatherless husband And childless wife conceive a child when they were a hundred. Not only to those who is the law, but also the ones of Abraham. Verse 17, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of God in whom he believed, he's saying that what was written in there was that he was saying to him, you are a father of many nations before you're even the father of one. And Abraham believed him trusted him, lived his life based on that revelation. So here's the deal for us. What is faith for us today? It is trusting in, believing in, 
building our life upon the reality of what God has revealed about who he is and how he sent his son for our sins and trusting in Jesus to save us. And when we do that, we're living by faith. Second thing, faith is grounded in God's power. Look at verse 19 in this passage. It says, He did not weaken in faith. We considered his own body to be already dead. That's saying that he lived for 25 years after this. And as he got up close to 100, and his body was almost dead. That's not what it says, right? It says it's already dead. What does it mean by that? He's obviously still living. What it means by that is what he gives us in the next verse. And the deadness of Sarah's womb. He's saying that he was not at the age to bear children and his wife wasn't either. And even though that was true from a truly human, physical perspective, he did not weaken in his faith because he trusted in the power of God. His faith wasn't weakened. Now, Sarah's was, we get that late picture later, although in the hall of faith, even Sarah's commended. But Abraham, it says, his faith continues to hold strong even when all of the circumstances of his life tell him that it's too late, it's not going to happen, you misunderstood what God was saying. And this is the assurance that he had that the God of the universe was going to do what the God of the universe said he was going to do. And if I were to ask you in this room, do you believe in the power of God? Do you trust in the power of God? Do you believe God can do absolutely anything? Most of you in this room, if not all of you in this room, would say, absolutely, we believe that. And yet we live our lives in a way where we don't show it. Most of us, if we're honest, when we walk through life, would prefer a little bit of God working and a little bit of us working. Tony Evans says that most of us have a mutual fund, faith. You know what a mutual fund is? It's when you invest not in one company or one stock, or you invest, in my retirement's in a mutual fund, you invest in several different ones or into a fund that brings all of them in together. Why do you invest in a mutual fund instead of a singular stock? To protect yourself. Well, if that doesn't work out, at least I got this. And if that one falls, I've got another one. I've got them supporting each other. Most of us, Tony Evans says, have a mutual fund faith where we put our trust in the Lord and. In God and my abilities or my family or my security. Some examples of ways that we do that. How do we hedge our bets? How do we put it in a mutual fund faith? First of all, we don't embrace our identity in Christ and think it's still our responsibility to prove how good we are. We don't trust Jesus completely to save us and to change us and to rework us. And as a result, we end up trying to work for salvation that we've already been given by Jesus. We don't understand our identity in Christ. And so we walk around without the power and the strength and the boldness that God has called us to. Another way is that we fail to face today and tomorrow in the confidence of God's promise. There's a phrase in this passage that may be one of my favorite phrases in all Scripture. It's in verse 18. 
he believed, hoping against hope, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what has been spoken, so will your descendants be. I love that part at the very beginning of that verse. says, he believed, hoping against hope. If you look at those words in the original language, the concept behind what is said there is that all earthly hope would tell him it was useless and over and not to trust in any way what could happen there. And yet he put his hope in the power of God to do that which human hope cannot do. And I wonder how many times in my life I feel a, a, an urging of the Lord, a, a desire of the Lord, something the Lord is putting into my life, and yet I, instead of hoping against hope, look at all the ways in my life that won't work out. Another way that we have mutual fun faith, that we don't truly trust in the power of God, is that we refuse to surrender to Him. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. There have been lots of times in my life I have sung that great hymn and not meant a word of it. Because I'm just giving him part of it. True faith is grounded in God's power and true faith is confidence in God's faithfulness. One of the big themes of Romans is who or what do you boast in? What do you declare you are proud of? What are you declaring as the reason you have hope? What are you bragging about? What are you declaring to people around you that is the source of who you are? Yesterday was a a fun day because Tennessee didn't play football, so I didn't have to get nervous about anything. I could watch... Kentucky think that they're good and go play Georgia and, you know, watch Miami blow it at the end of the game last night and Texas A&M think they were good and play Alabama. Like, I get to watch that without any worry about my team. And one of the things that is evident when you watch football these days is that boasting is a part of the game. Trash talk, declaring it. I don't know who decided that every time a defensive back in a football game gets a good play, they're supposed to sheath a sword, but it has spread all over the world. They don't have any hesitancy about declaring when they do something good. Paul would tell us, if you're going to boast in anything, boast in the faithfulness of our God. Look at verse 20 and 21. He did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God because he was fully convinced, fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to do. He trusted in the Lord. Faith is confidence in God's faithfulness. Fourth, faith spurs radical obedience. When you think about the totality of Abraham's life, you think about the fact that he obeyed the call to leave home all that he knew and go to a land that he did not yet know. When he obeyed and claimed the property that God had promised him, even though it was not his property, it had been promised to his descendants. 
when he waited on God to fulfill his promise, and then when God fulfilled his promise, he was faithful even to be willing to give up his own son for the glory of God. And I just wonder as I think about that, what kind of radical obedience has my faith spurred in my life? Am I willing to step out in faith, not knowing the destination or having everything promised and secured on the way to where I'm going? Am I willing to take a step of faith when I'm not sure? I know God will take care of it. I know God's in control, but I don't know what is out there as I walk. Am I willing to claim something as real, even though I don't see it or see how the possibility of it, but I claim it as real because God has said it is real and it is true? Am I willing to patiently trust God with everything I have waiting on Him to deliver on His promise? And am I willing to surrender everything I have to fulfill God's command? Let me just say this. Nobody's perfect. In fact, if I'd put the rest of Genesis 12 on there, Right after he receives this promise, this high point in his life, he starts to travel and he gets worried because he thinks the king is going to think his wife's too pretty. So immediately he lies and says it's his sister and gets in a whole big mess. He does that a couple other times. There's the whole Hagar uh, scenario. Like, he's not perfect. And one of the themes of Scripture, I've told you over and over again, one of the real themes of Scripture is that God hits straight licks with crooked sticks, which reminds us about that righteousness that comes from belief in God. It is not our responsibility to work that out. God is walking through the covenant promises. We just have to listen and believe. Faith spurs radical obedience. And this is the last one, and then we're done. The result of faith is righteousness. And it's, I love digging into this stuff about Abraham. I love the idea of how Paul takes his life as Abraham was the one that they would have claimed was saved because of what he did. And Paul says, no, he was saved because he believed. And as he believed in God, it spurred the action that came. It wasn't what saved him, the action. The faith saved him. It was a result of him walking it out. But here we see in Scripture that what Paul is doing is he's reminding them that Abraham, who God used in a mighty way, was saved just like we are through faith. Verse 23 reminds us that that is available for us as well. Verse 23, now it was credited to him, to Abraham. And what was credited to him, the righteousness of verse 22, was not written for Abraham alone, but also for us. That credit into our account, that putting our, his funds into our bank is still available for us. It will be credited to us who believe in Him, who Jesus raised our Lord from the dead. Who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Because Jesus was raised up for our transgresses and raised for our justification. Then so He says, all of this about Abraham, He believed and it was credited to righteousness. His faith was in the revelation of God. His faith was in the power of God. His faith was in the reality that God's faithfulness was going to come through. His faith showed out in the actions that was there. That faith is available for us. And if we will believe in the revelation of God, of Jesus Christ, who came to earth for our sins, died on 
the cross, buried and rose again on the third day. If we will believe in the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead is able to raise us to life again. If we will believe in the faithfulness of God that he is going to do what he said he was going to do. His promises will be fulfilled if we will base our lives and do our lives understanding the reality of those truths and that we will take hold of Jesus and what he has promised for us, then we will be saved. It's a realization we can't do it ourselves. Only God can. We can't be faithful. God is faithful. We can't be powerful enough to save ourselves. God is. Because faith is not a general belief about God in some way. Faith is not flawless, we're going to mess it up. Faith is laying hold of the promises of God as shown through Jesus Christ. And when you pull back the layers and dissect faith, the heart of it is Jesus. Over the next couple of weeks, as we finish out this first part of Romans, we're going to look at our new Adam, And how Jesus has worked salvation for us. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, we're thankful for today. For the reality of your salvation that comes. Even though we don't deserve it. Even though we can't earn it. Lord, by grace and mercy. You have declared us righteous. Lord, I thank you. Thank you for my salvation. I pray for anyone here today that does not yet know you, that today would be the day that they would feel deep in their heart that it's time. It's time. I pray for those that need to make other decisions this morning, Lord. Just make that clear to them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.